This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I don't know what it is about demonic possession, but I find that almost every day, there's a different story about demonic possession. And this has gone from something that was considered fringe and fiction and the domain of stuff like horror movies, obviously the best known being, of course, The Exorcist. Hey, where'd this come from? I found it. Where? Closet. You been playing with it? You know how? I'll show you. Wait a minute. You need two. No, you don't. I do it all the time. Oh, yeah? Well, let's both play with it. You really don't want me to play, huh? No, I do. Captain Howdy said no. Captain who? Captain Howdy. Who's Captain Howdy? You know, I make the questions and he does the answers. Oh, Captain Howdy, yeah, I see. Nice. Oh, I bet he is. Here, I'll show you. Captain Howdy says no. Captain Howdy did think my mom's pretty, but he doesn't very nice. Well, maybe sleeping. So, in any event, um, that's. It, that's obviously a scene from The Exorcist of the girl Regan playing a uh, Reagan playing with an, a Ouija board, which they say is something you should never do if you want to avoid demonic possessions. A couple of the exorcists that we've spoken to previously have said that very thing. But the issue of demonic possession has gone from something that was regarded as pulp fiction, as campy as the stuff of science fiction and horror movies, to being mainstream. The current pope has said he's done exorcisms before. The previous pope, same thing. So what is it about demonic possession? Why has there been such an uptick in exorcisms? Well, one of the people who's a real expert in this is Patrick Meachin. He's the author of the forthcoming Shadows and Light. He's written a number of other books as well, including Nightmare in Holmes County and 225th Street, which tell the terrifying true stories of paranormal activity and spiritual warfare in real-life haunted houses. He's also been involved in deliverance ministry and exorcism for almost two decades. He is also the host of the Stranger Than Fiction podcast, which you can catch on YouTube and Rumble. Patrick, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you for having me on. It's a privilege. The privilege is mine. And uh, let me thank also Brandon in New Jersey, who uh, alert Brandon Lord, who alerted me to your existence and suggested that I uh, check out your work. And I'm certainly glad that uh, that he did. Patrick, what exactly is delivery ministry? 
Deliverance Ministry Deliverance is basically ministry. It, it, it is another name basically for um, what you would consider a quote unquote exorcist does. Um, in my case, uh, I, I make myself available uh, for people who feel that maybe in their home there's a demonic presence or in possibly in them. You know, maybe they're struggling with something and very much negative and they'll contact me, you know, and, and want help getting rid of that, you know? Um, so basically a deliverance ministry is, uh, the whole, it's the whole thing of uh, ministering to, uh, people who believe they are oppressed or possessed by the devil. And how many exorcisms either of individuals or of homes would you say that you've done over the last 17 years? Wow. That's a good, I don't even Ballpark. know off, off the top of my head. Ballpark. Um, I, my goodness, I, I honestly don't know a lot. I can tell you a lot. Um, one of the things, you know, I have notebooks full of, uh, you know, notes from sitting down with people before you actually perform the exorcism and you ask them questions and you take notes and you're looking for red flags. And, yet, you know, some of these cases, I forget all about them until I, you know, for whatever reason, get out one of my boxes of notebooks and go through them and start looking at some of these cases. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know. Um, I'd say hundreds for sure. You know, I know there's people that say I've done thousands, whatever. Uh, I would say hundreds. Um, And each one of those cases, though, is rarely do you see a person that if they have a a demonic possession situation, rarely is it ever that they only have one demon. Usually there's multiples. And you generally have to go through um, getting through you know, all the reasons why they have any of them and uh, basically undoing that and then taking authority over those spirits in Jesus name and casting them out. Um, You know, uh, you you mentioned Ouija boards and uh, yeah, that's a great way to get possessed very much. So there's people that play with them at a slumber party and think nothing happened. And then years later, they're 30 some years old and they start having problems, you know, Um, so, you know, uh, but one of the, one of the worst areas for getting demons is generational curses. And that means, uh, you know, sins of the father are visited upon the children to the third and fourth generation. So a lot of the people that have demons, yeah, they've done things that open doors too, but there was an underlying problem, uh, generationally already there. Um, so they were either born with uh, demons already possessing them or they, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, they were put through situations where they were basically set up to be demonized. You know, so um, every, you know, every case of possession, it's it's rarely uh, one demon. It is usually uh, multiples and, you know, um you know, like the, the Exorcist movie, extreme cases like that are the ones where there are many demons. Um, you know, possession does not always look like what Hollywood uh, portrays it to be. Um, a lot of times it is someone who just has something they can, you know, they struggle with and they cannot get past it. Or maybe they're, you know, tormented with uh, paranormal activity or, you know, uh, things like that are just negativity in their thinking and horrific dreams, things like that, you know. But a lot of times people that have demons are very normal on the surface. Uh, most people would not know that they have something going on. 
but uh, again, when they when people develop, you know, greater levels of possession, that's when you get some of the extremes, you know, where people have a completely different look. Um, I mean, in their everyday life, they have a completely different look. A lot of times, they're uh, doing all kinds of things that are destructive to their own bodies, things like that. Um, there's a case in the Bible, for instance, where Jesus cast several thousand demons out of one guy. And um, you may know the story. Jesus asked the demon, uh, this guy comes out of the tombs, and he had been cutting himself with stones. Uh, so he was, a, he was a cutter. They had uh, chained him up with chains and fetters, and he broke them. So this is a human being breaking you know, chains. And uh, Jesus asked the demon what its name was, and it said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Mm. A legion at that time were several thousand if it was a legion of men and, and like a military, it was several thousand. So, uh, you know, there was, uh, this guy had thousands of demons in him. So he was a very extreme case, you know, more like what would be considered theatrical as far as, you know, something like what Hollywood would, would portray, you know? So, um, it, it's a, it's a very, uh, interesting subject. It is something I believe we are seeing more and more as time goes on. Um, I think that's one reason it is uh, becoming, um, I don't want to say socially acceptable because I'm not sure if that's true, but it's, you're, you're seeing it more. It's becoming more prevalent and more talked about. Um, so I, and I do think that is one reason why is I think just society is de, de, uh, degrading um, becoming somewhat degenerate. There's a lot of evil out there, you know. Yeah, um, and there's. Uh, you, let me let me interrupt, Patrick, because you've said a number of things that I want to follow up on. One, okay. talk to me about those generational curses. What's something in your experience that you've seen where uh, the an ancestor, be it a father or a grandfather, has done something that has resulted in a descendant being being possessed or having to deal with demons? Give me an example. Uh, an ancestor, uh, possibly that was never even in America, from another country, mm. uh, being involved in the occult, being involved in witchcraft, um, murdering someone. Um, a lot of times, this is very sad, but I've seen where suicide kind of repeats in families. And, uh, you know, it, it, and it started several generations earlier, you know, um, but Things like that open doors that just keep they really they become perpetual because you know if if the curse continues for uh, to the third and fourth generation in reality it's probably not going to stop at the fourth because those people who have lived through that uh, that curse through all those generations are going to continue with the negative behavior because they're struggling and they don't understand it and they don't know what to do most of the time so it just keeps going on you know, until it's broken, you know, which can be many, many, many generations. Oof, uh, that is, uh, that's awful. Uh, we're talking with uh, somebody that's a real expert in the paranormal and in spiritual warfare, Patrick Meachin. You can check out his uh, podcast on YouTube or Rumble. It's called Stranger Than Fiction. Patrick, what sparked your interest in this? How'd you get involved in this? Okay, that's that's an interesting part of my story. Uh, you know, I was raised in the church and, uh, you know, taught the Bible my whole life. So I believed these things were possible. But it wasn't until I actually 
found myself in a house that was haunted. And, uh, you know, it, it was a house that me and my ex-wife built. And, you know, how do you build a house and it's haunted? You know, that's what I kept thinking. This can't be haunted. We built it, you know. But uh, as it turned out, it's very important, number one, the area where you build, uh, you know, what's going on in that area. And then also the land itself that you build the house on. And in Nightmare in Holmes County, that's, uh, you know, one of my books that's out right now. It, it talks about that house and how, you know, we build it. And then, uh, you know, found ourselves in, you know, we, we thought that we were going to be happily ever after in our dream home. And just strange things began happening. So that, I, that really pushed me to learn and really study um, what causes hauntings. You know, what are hauntings, you know, um, and, and how do you deal with them? So um, that really got me kind of on the path I'm on right now. Um, you know, you, when you're the one living through it, you are, it, it, it's desperation. You know, it's not a nice thing to go through. You have the paranormal to deal with. You have those things that like, okay, this, how did this happen? This is impossible. You know, strange things happening. But the other thing a lot of people don't think about is when you're in that environment, you are also heavily oppressed and they will mess with you. They will try to destroy you or make you destroy yourself. Um, they destroy relationships. They destroy families. And um, I, I will tell you, generally what happens in a haunting is very similar to what happens in a possession of a person. And that is somebody commits some type of a sin that opens a door to demons. And the demons come in and say, thank you very much for the, you know, op the, the legal right to be here and this opportunity. And then uh, basically they're going to stay there and torment everybody that comes in their path until they're dealt with. And, uh, you know, I had that situation in Holmes County, um, which it, the reason I named that book Nightmare in Holmes County was it, it went on for several years. And, you know, I ended up uh, being divorced while I lived there. And then I was living in the house completely by myself in the middle of nowhere, nothing but farmland around me. And uh, I felt like I'm in a nightmare that I can't wake up from. And uh, that's what, where the title came from. That, that was truly how I felt like I'm, I'm in a nightmare and I can't wake up, you know, but it was real life. <laughs> and uh, we ended up uh, finding out, you know, towards the end of that time, exactly what caused the haunting and did an exorcism on the, the property. And the house sold almost immediately, uh, almost overnight. Um, after being on the market for two years and 10 months without selling, it sold within a month uh, of the day we did the exorcism. It sold so quickly that within 60 days of the, the uh, day we did the exorcism, I was moved. Wow. And the interesting part was, though, I moved into another house thinking, you know, in, a, in another county thinking, okay, that nightmare is behind me, but I really feel like I want to share my story so other people that go through this will know there is an answer and it can be dealt with. But as I'm doing that in this other house I moved into, strange things began happening there. 
And, you know, the, the, the rational question anyone would ask would be, how do you know something didn't follow you? And as it turned out, the second house was haunted. But it was not, I knew nothing followed me because the exorcism we did in Holmes County was so thorough that, I mean, the house sells and I'm out of there. All the activity in the house, the paranormal things and all that stopped the day of the exorcism. And then the house sold very quickly. So I was like, that's complete victory. So I knew something didn't follow me, but I was like, how can I have another haunting? And as it turned out, the house that I had moved into at 225th Street had been haunted for at least um, 11 years before I was even born. What? How, so, does, um, how does someone know if their house is haunted? A lot of times it starts out very subtly. Like you'll move in, you'll, you'll start, um, you know, hear noises. Um, very subtle at first. Uh, you'll hear noises and like, what was what that, you know? And uh, it, it'll progress to things like, um, where is, you know, this item, my, my car keys, or I sat this down over here and it's not here and I can't find it. And then you find it someplace where you didn't leave it. Or then it, it progresses to, um, you know, in a family situation, people will start kind of getting on each other's nerves, um, you know, being completely manipulated by what is there. But then it moves to things like, um, man, I swore I saw a shadow out of the corner of my eye, like somebody was there. But when I looked straight on, there was nothing, but I know what I saw, you know. And then it progresses to doors opening, doors closing. Um, you know, TVs, electronic devices being manipulated, you know, things like that. And uh, w when you get to those stages, you know, uh, it's like, okay, there's there's no question. This this place is haunted, you know, and uh, it, it's horrific. It is not a nice thing to go through. Um, but, you know, basically, the, the one thing I try to share is that, that these things can be dealt with. Um, in my next book, uh, Shadows and Light, one of the most horrific hauntings I have ever came across um, will be shared in that book. And the pictures and everything that I, I bought the rights to everything, all the evidence from the family that went through it. I was only involved from a research perspective years after the fact. But um, the way the haunting was dealt with, you know, it's just funny. The, the, the story itself is absolutely horrific. The evidence is horrific. And then when you see how the story ends and how these things can be dealt with, it's almost comical at the end. Like, you know, something that was that scary and that intimidating, how it was dealt with. And the family was delivered of it, you know. So, you, you've given some great advice in terms of how to avoid demonic possession for individuals. But if I'm, mm -hmm. if someone is house hunting, or if someone has just moved into a house and they don't want to have to deal with, you know, a house that's haunted, what advice could you give homeowners on on avoiding a haunted house? One thing, it try, as much as you can, try to know the history of that house. Um, has there been any violent deaths? A, a death in and of itself may mean nothing. There may not be a haunting just because somebody died in the house. If that person died and had dark spiritual things attached to them, you may have a problem. Um, if there was a violent death in the house, if there was, you know, someone at some point had dabbled in the occult, 
played with Ouija boards, you know, done things like that, you may have problems. You're probably pretty likely going to have problems. Um, you know, so it, as much as you can find out about the history, um, you know, uh, you know, do your best to, to find out anything that could have happened there. When I bought my current house, this was right after two haunted houses back to back. And uh, I asked the owners point blank, do you ever have one thing I noticed when I went in, there were some very nice Christian paintings up, <laughs> which I thought that's a good sign. And I point blank asked them, I said, you know, you might think I'm crazy, but I'm going to ask you, do you ever have paranormal activity in this house? They said, no, nothing, you know. So that was a good thing, you know. Um, but I, I would say if you even suspect it, don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to ask the realtor. Because if the realtor has been told that it's haunted or there were violent deaths or a suicide or something in the house, um, they do have to disclose that. And if they don't, you know, you do have an opportunity to back out of that purchase, um, you know, and, and maybe avoid something really bad. Um, I will tell you, in into 25th Street, I document very clearly that living in a haunted house may come down to life and death. There are people that died living there. There were people that, that most of the people who had ever lived there thought things followed them. And uh, there were people who had, you know, death, the people that died, horrific accidents that are almost like identical to accidents other people had that lived there. Very strange things. It, it's that serious. Um, it could cost you your life if, you know, if you're not careful. Um, so I would say um, don't be afraid. The other thing is um, even if you can't find anything that happened there, don't be afraid to pray over the house. And just as much as you can think of, start renouncing things that could have happened there. You know, like in, in Jesus' name, I renounce any any child abuse that happened here, and I renounce any any, any suffering, and I renounce you know uh, any any form of the occult that was ever practiced in this house. Start renouncing things like that that, that you may know open doors to, to, uh, demonic spirits. Patrick, and, um, we're, we're going to have to uh, end it there. And, uh, I have a lot of other questions for you. So we're going to have to schedule something else in the future. Uh, but I do want to encourage people to check out your books. They can search Patrick Meachin on Amazon. Uh, your forthcoming book is shadows and light and certainly your podcast stranger than fiction. It's available on the YouTube and on rumble. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Again, uh, my thanks to Brandon Lord for putting uh, Patrick on my radar screen. Straight ahead.